cuts are blood money. People will die. Black Lives Matter is killing Americans. Republicans want you to die quickly if you get sick. We could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters. This president has radicalized so many more people than ISIS ever did. Things are going swimmingly in Afghanistan. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Well, hello there. It's Andrew, and I'm adjacent to Ken. We're back to hash out a topic we feel is relevant to learn a bit about. We, in general, hope to discuss subjects here in a way where we're learning from the data we have and then, you know, discern the material as critically as we're able. And today we're talking about the election for the majority speaker of the House of Representatives, a.k.a. the Speaker of the House or the House Speaker, known by multiple names similar to Bruno Mars or Whoopi Goldberg, just not as cool. (laughs) Can you share with us Whoopi Goldberg's real name? Karen Elaine Johnson. Karen. (laughs) She had to change it. Yeah. The process to elect the Speaker of the House just happened a few weeks ago. And while it's usually a pretty boring process, no one really cares about it most of the time, unless you're a politics nerd, something actually, yeah, (laughs) something really weird happened this time around. But seriously, though, like, I honestly can't remember the last time or if I ever acknowledged the process to elect a House Speaker. I know I haven't. It's like benign and boring and usually it's a foregone conclusion but this time around somebody farted in kevin mccarthy's (laughs) cornflakes and the people desecrating kevin's choice of breakfast cereal the freedom caucus did you know prior to this what a congressional caucus is a group of like-minded people trying to push something forward uh yes it's basically like a club a club caucus (laughs) um no i've never had to say it so i did feel uncomfortable but yeah i felt like it was some kind of bit a chunk of people um, yeah. yeah but there's literally there's no like restrictions around it there's no requirements it's just people who decide to form a caucus they're a clique it's like i didn't know that well yeah. so let's set the stage a little bit u.s congress which is made up of the house of representatives and the senate the house of representatives has 435 members the members represent districts from all across america the districts are determined by a total population there's a whole conversation about drying up districts, gerrymandering, etc. We're not really going to get into that here. Yet. Yet, right? <laughs> but basically, once these 435 Congress people are elected, they make up the House of Representatives. Mostly Democrats and Republicans, usually. But interestingly enough, in the past, in this past Congress, there were three independents in the Senate. And out of the 435 members, not one single independent in the House. That's pretty nuts. It is weird. That very much so solidifies the fact that we're in a full-on two-party system that like, not even one independent candidate could get through out of 435 people. It does say something about our population right now. Yeah. That's, that's pretty bonkers. There's no room these days for anyone in the middle. <laughs> Where are we going to go then? Right here in this basement. <laughs> nice. So anyways, all of the 435 seats in the House of Representatives are up for re-election every two years. So that's different from the Senate, which is a continuous body. In the House, everything about the House resets every two years. So new members, new leadership, new rules, everything. And the very first thing that they have to do to begin a new congressional session is vote for the majority party Speaker of the House. That's the first thing. Can't do anything else until that person is elected. And just to pause on that, taking it into anyone's real life, imagine if your place of work went through that, like (laughs) getting a new boss, which is a normal thing, or a company buys out another company, but everything about what you do completely resets. 
Uh, what's that movie where uh, where everybody gets like one day where all the laws don't apply and uh, the purge? The purge. I did it's, not see it, but it <laughs> sounds... basically it's like the purge every two years. It would be stressful though, just to like once you get the hang of your job, you're figuring out how to navigate it all over again from the beginning. Sure, but I feel like in the House of Representatives, there's a, a strong block of people that have been getting elected over and over. Like, I mean, look at Nancy Pelosi; she's been in there for like centuries. Right, right, and I imagine most of the rules remain intact every time they go through this. Well, I, I guess we'll see. <laughs> So this establishes the reporting structure. The speaker is essentially the head of the House of Representatives. And we got this from Great Britain's parliament. Like everything else that we got. (laughs) I feel like that's where we're going to begin every time we talk about our politics. Um, And it started off as a ceremonial lead. They had all the same duties as everyone else, but would, I don't know, corral everyone and guide the house with its business. Right. So they started out kind of like a figurehead, I guess. Like they didn't necessarily have a ton of like important business that they necessarily conducted, you know. Not much extra power, but yes, a figurehead. It was kind of like the king and queen in England, a a ceremonial figurehead that doesn't necessarily actually wield the power. It sounds akin. Yeah. And even though, so the Speaker of the House has always been a member of Congress, but they actually don't have to be. The Constitution requires that the House Speaker be nominated by someone in Congress, and then they have to be voted in by a majority of the members of the House of Representatives. But it doesn't give any other guidance. Essentially, this House Speaker could be pretty much anybody. Which is which is crazy. I mean, it's the person third in line in the succession line if something happens to the president. And all the other jobs, aside from the Speaker of the House, all have very specific guidance and criteria as to who's eligible. Right. There's like citizenship requirements, age limits, residence requirements for president, vice president, Senate, House of Representatives, all that, but nothing for the Speaker of the House. I mean, they probably assumed, like the the people who wrote the Constitution probably assumed that they would have selected a congressperson. And so far, that's panned out that it has always been somebody that's in the House of Representatives. Hundreds um, of years in, it's pretty reliable. But yeah. I mean, it is an option that this could go weirdly awry in the future. So that being said, since since the Speaker of the House could be pretty much anybody, if you were a member of Congress and responsibilities didn't matter because they're just basically like a figurehead of, of the proceedings, who would you pick as Speaker of the House? Who's your, f- who's your top dog? I don't have a top dog, but like... A Bob Ross type character, <laughs> someone that just brings people together, someone that just jumps between that. divided lines. And wouldn't you feel like there would be a nice uh, passive um, mood in, in the chambers? Absolutely. Yeah. Bringing people together, just calming people right down. It would be a very different climate from what it is right now. Yeah. I'm going to go in the opposite direction. I'll pick Christian Bale, but he can only do it using the Batman voice. I, I don't know what that is. Can you can you show us? Where is the vote? Where is it? <laughs> that really commands attention. <laughs> I think I just broke my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, though. I think, once again, I always find an excuse to bring him in here, but Trump, as Matt Gates had proposed, <laughs> nice. would be excellent up there. I mean, could you picture him trying to like rally people together to get things done? The way he talks <laughs> about getting things done, it's so effortless and easy. It's the most like beautiful Congress. <laughs> This has been the most beautiful House of Representatives. All you beautiful people. Get me the votes. And then, uh, I mean, Schwarzenegger, if he only rose a little higher in the political chain. (laughs) Got to the omnibus. Oh, man. With my gavel, I'll smash your head. (laughs) 
Uh, I've got to take some some uh, impressions classes because yours are way better than mine. Um, no, I only have Schwarzenegger. That's it. <laughs> no, this this what this means is because you drive so much for work, you literally just sit in your car and practice these all day long. That's what this means. Uh, in city streets, when there's a lot of red lights, that <laughs> that doesn't happen. But on the open road, you know it, man. I could just see you sitting at an intersection and people are walking by, and you're just sitting in your car. Get to the omnibus. Uh, <laughs> I used to be a screamer in a metal band, and I would practice in the vehicle, and nice. that was probably a horrifying thing to witness at a red light. <laughs> I can imagine. Anyhow, back to what the topic at hand is. The first majority and minority leaders started cropping up in the late 1800s, early 1900s, when the two-party system really started cementing itself into the way our government operates today. There were always two factions that opposed each other, but many times it operated in sort of a like four or multi-party system. People had more varying interests and separated into smaller and more diverse caucuses, if you will. Which you could almost even argue that what we're seeing now is more like the olden days four-party system than the two-party system that we've had for the last couple of decades. Yeah, that makes sense. And it does seem like getting someone voted in when there's more and multiple interests at heart is a more difficult process. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing. Right, yeah. But because of that two-party system, there's also a minority party. So there's the minority leader. But they actually are only elected from within their own party. They don't have to be confirmed by the entire House of Representatives because there's no constitutional requirement to have a minority speaker. They essentially were like, well, if you get a speaker, I want a speaker too. And so they elect their own minority speaker. In some way, I feel like it is kind of important. I mean, if if you or I were in the minority party, I feel like it's probably you need a voice in general to bring up your concerns to, you know, the majority or the speaker from your side it does seem silly but in some way i feel like it probably had to have evolved that way yeah i suppose but it's funny because the constitutional framers didn't even want a two-party system and that's why they didn't want a minority speaker because the majority speaker was supposed to speak on behalf of the entire house of representatives Uh but obviously with the way that we are now a democrat is not going to let a republican speak for them or vice versa so yeah so anyways it's been two years and now you need to elect a new speaker of the house So out of your 435 potential members, you find out who the majority and minority is based on how the voting went that year. And then each party then huddles up in their secret back rooms and they select and elect their candidate to lead their party. Simple enough. And then once we have the majority party identified, they go out to the House floor because we have to fulfill that constitutional requirement. We have to vote on the Speaker of the House. And the key word there is voted in by a majority, not a plurality. And that kind of comes into play in a little bit. So if everybody from each party votes for the person that you selected, that's not an issue. It doesn't matter because majority plurality they're the same thing but the wrinkle really comes in when not everybody within your own party agrees right so if the person selected to be speaker has maybe 75 percent of the support from the majority party and the house is split pretty evenly between the two parties say 55 percent to 45 percent the 25 percent from the majority party that didn't like the selection of the speaker can totally spoil it by voting for someone else So now you're splitting the votes into multiple different smaller chunks. And unless some people from the minority party decide to do some charity and hand you some votes, the votes could definitely going to fail. You need the 218 
to get elected, just over half of the 435. And what happens if the vote fails? Basically, you just kind of talk amongst each other. You try to convince some people. If there's a dissenting vote, you try and convince them to work with the party, work things out, strike some deals maybe, pass, Threats. Some, pass some 20s, some Benjamins, <laughs> and then you just vote again, and you vote again, and again, and again, until finally you have to hit that magic number. You can't do anything else in the House. You can't vote on anything. You can't do anything until the House Speaker is elected, so everything stops. Which, luckily, I mean, that doesn't seem to happen much, but this totally stalls anything productive that they're trying to get done. And maybe that's the point of it. We'll find out. Uh, another thing that's important here is the little tidbit at the beginning about the House of Representatives resetting every two years. So the Senate has set rules and overlapping terms to make it a continuous entity. But every two years in the House, absolutely everything resets, including the rules. So most of the time... They will just adopt the same rules as the last session and move on. But you can feasibly completely change the rules if you want to at any point. Obviously, I think it would have to be voted in by a majority, those yep. rules to change. Mm -hmm. But theoretically, just like any person on earth could be the speaker, they could have any rules as well. You could have a Taco Tuesday okay. mandated by the rules of Congress. Doesn't Sounds like a positive move. <laughs> nice. Casual Fridays. Mm. But kind of an important part of that is... You can also, with a majority vote, change the rules of how the speaker is elected, too. So it says that they have to be elected, but it doesn't rule out a plurality or a ranked choice voting rule if the majority changes the rule first. So it has to happen in that order. So basically, they could pass that rule change, but that would still require some type of bipartisan support. And it has happened before, so it's not completely unprecedented. It has happened where they've changed it to a plurality vote rather than a majority. Yeah, we were just discussing the rules, and right now it's a majority needs to vote someone in, but that could that could easily change, and it has in the past as well. Right. And then change back. Yep. So what does this have to do with what just happened? I mean, that it's exactly what just happened. <laughs> um, so the Republican Party kind of fragmented their support, and this all went down. Yeah, Kevin McCarthy was the guy that the Republicans selected in their backroom meeting. Democrats chose Hakeem Jeffries. But there was a group of about 20 Republicans that weren't keen on McCarthy as speaker. They had a, a bunch of reasons. They said he was too moderate. He voted with Democrats too frequently, supported oversized spending bills, and more. These 20 Republicans, they weren't enough to stop McCarthy to be nominated by the party, but it was enough to stop the Republicans from being the majority in the House. And so basically they went out to vote and the 20 dissenting Republicans, they submitted their dissenting votes for other members of the House. They voted for Andy Biggs, Byron Donalds, Jim Jordan, Kevin Kern. And interestingly enough, like we said earlier, because you can vote for anybody, Trump got a few votes in there in the in the later rounds. Who is not a member of the House of Representatives. Right. No, obviously. So by the 12th round, the resistance started to kind of crumble and fragment. And finally, in round 15, he got elected. But that's that's a lot of a lot of rounds, 15 rounds of voting over multiple days in order to get him elected. And, you know, some of these guys that got nominated didn't even know, like, nor did they yeah, want they that had no job idea at all beforehand. Yep, that's crazy. <laughs> nice. That's our system of government. So. So as we'll see, we're going to talk about some history to show how rare it really is for this unprecedented 15 round House Speaker charade that we just went through. Almost always it takes one round of voting to confirm a House Speaker. Out of the 127 elections of a ha for a House Speaker that are on record, only 14 of them have required more than one ballot before this year. 13 of those happened prior to the Civil War. So since the Civil War, aside from January 2023 that we currently are going through, it has happened once. It was in 1923 and it took nine rounds of voting. As a reminder, we just went through 15. 
and the record for the most number of votes required, 133 rounds. So we're making this big hullabaloo about 15 rounds. <laughs> 133 rounds. It took about two months for them to elect a speaker. That is wild. 133. That is approximately the number of times that my kids ask me if we're <laughs> almost there yet on a 10-minute car drive. <laughs> That's saying something. <laughs> um, I believe it. So this was in 1855. The speaker that came out of the end of that was Nathaniel Banks. Initially, there were 21 candidates. And, you know, that's probably part of the reason the strict two-party nonsense we have now really limits the voting. But, I mean, if you have a, a wide pool of candidates from a multiple caucuses, this process inevitably will take longer. And to boot, slavery was the primary divider at the time to keep or abolish it. And eventually it came to physical blows with a representative from Arkansas, Albert Rust, physically assaulting a newspaper editor that backed Banks' candidacy. Yeah, and uh, so it's funny that like when we talk about the House of Representatives and we had that one guy who said it was like the most violent act ever occurred. Um, right. You know, and he was talking about taking attendance from the last episode. No, we, we actually had people that were punching each other over an election for the Speaker of the House. Actually, in this case, they, they did have to use the rule change where they changed it from a majority to plurality because they had been doing this for so long. So I'm pretty sure they just ended up getting fed up. They changed the rule to plurality. And then Nathaniel Banks wins 103 votes to 100. Which that's crazy. Like we couldn't figure this out. So we have to change the rules. Right. But I mean, you know, I guess when you're two months into it, you got to do something. Yep. So uh, like the other votes and the other stories weren't quite as interesting. It was kind of the same story where it was like splits over support or opposition to slavery. And mostly it was because there was multiple parties, multiple candidates, and they resolved them pretty quickly. So the most notable story was definitely the one where uh, a guy was cold clocking a, a newspaper editor. After 133 rounds. Yeah, understandably. So, all right, why does this matter? Infighting amongst a political party is not anything new. We have it on both sides. We hear it daily. So the real kicker here is twofold. First, that it was something that hadn't happened in over 100 years. That is pretty rare. More importantly, the other reason why it was so high profile was the nature of why it happened in the first place. A debate over the core of what the Republican Party stands for and how it plans to operate is currently taking place you know it's will they play nice with the democrats be more centrist or are they going to play spoiler and be a hard right house and i think that's what they're struggling with currently yeah and and also we're dealing with social media and we have political climates where the news just kind of ramps things up so every little thing that happens gets put on the front page but the other question too is kind of what are the intentions of the 20 house representatives that were opposing speaker mccarthy why were they doing it were they actually trying to steer the party in a particular direction or was it more self-serving so that they were just trying to get like cushy appointments on different committees? Were they trying to kind of get in the news and be in the media cycle for self-promotion? You know, I know there were a couple of people out there that were saying that they're just doing this because they're like gearing up for a Senate run. And who knows, maybe it's a little bit of both. I mean, I feel like there there isn't any politician out there that's not gearing up for their next election is trying to self-promote so right all of know. that is believable yeah. i mean if they were all voting for the same alternate candidate it would feel more right. real that they were trying to push them in another direction it did seem like chaos out there yeah and and so many people just kind of came to them and were like what's your end game and mm. there were slightly differing answers that were happening there so there were actually some things that came out of this so Kevin McCarthy basically had to make some concessions or some agreements in order to kind of buy the votes of these 20 people that were dissenting. And some of those concessions were, so one of them was 
a single lawmaker can launch the process of ousting the speaker, also known as a motion to vacate. So before, you actually needed a majority of one of the two parties in order to start this process. Now it can just be one individual lawmaker, and they can call for it and say, let's start this vote. And if that majority then passes, then that speaker is no longer Speaker of the House. What do, what do you think of that one? It seems like it just makes the process of ousting a speaker slightly easier, or at least launching the idea of it. I mean, after that single lawmaker proposes that, a majority still has to vote on it to make it happen. But it just seems like the barrier of entry to open that conversation has become easier. It's so low. Like, just the fact that it's one individual person, and it can be from either party. So now that opens it up for the Democrats to do it as well. Initially, the limit had been proposed at five individuals. And I feel like that one is a little bit more respectable because at least you have to have like some degree of consensus. Right, right. Um, But yeah, no, one person can start this process. And then when that process is over, if they vote and it's denied, they can then kick it off again. Who's to stop any someone just raising their hand at any time to do this? You know, it actually almost makes it feel like a filibuster in the House of Representatives. If hmm. if there's activity that's going on that you don't want to happen, you can kick this process into gear over and over and over again. With your single voice. Yeah. yeah. Huh. I didn't really think about that before, but that's interesting. And you're a big filibuster guy, so hey. you, you should love this. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't feel very good about it. This one feels pretty self-serving. Who knows? We don't know how it's going to be used, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I don't feel too great about it. It though. seems like it'll make a lot of hay. Like It'll be good for news stories. Like yeah. We'll be talking about it, but it doesn't seem like the actual ousting of the speaker gets any more realistic because you right. still need a majority to do it. Yeah. But either way, another concession would be requiring a separate vote for hiking the debt limit. Um, This sounds great. Prior, you could put a debt limit issue right into any other spending bill. Now they have to focus and think about it separately and directly as its own issue. And that's a whole different discussion, too. We could probably do another episode on the debt limit because people have very varying views on that. Another kind of concession that was made was chairs of committees or attendance to committee like members of committees basically the freedom caucus was saying we want more representation on the different committees and they also required that they create a subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government basically looking into the actions of the fbi and the irs and seeing this one also seems like a little partisan as well it's like a a peacocking one i mean if both sides have access to this subcommittee it feels like an oversight body which is always good i don't know sure i just feel like because uh the person who is appointing the members of the committee and the committee itself is mostly run by you know republicans it's probably just going to be i mean similar to all of the other things that they've done they've done other investigations and committees and stuff that are mostly a dog and pony show of trying to you know make their side look better so who knows you're probably right um and one that i thought was pretty great was a new rule that would give House members at least 72 hours to review bills before they come to the floor. And it's all over the place where bills are being pushed in last minute, you know, at midnight. And it routinely happens where members don't have a chance to read anything that's in it and and then are forced to vote on it. It's that's an absolutely insane process to me. So I think this is a big improvement. Yeah, totally. Like think about, for instance, the Inflation Reduction Act that came to the floor and it was 700 some odd pages and so this is saying like even even three days right so 72 hours you're saying okay you've got three days to review this that's still not really a lot of time to review a bill of this size and magnitude so i very much so like 
some of these concessions, like the one, the single lawmaker pushing for ousting the speaker, that one to me is a little bit meh. Like I feel the least about that particular concession. Like it's kind of self-serving, I guess. It feels um, like. Whereas this one with the 72 hours, I'm I'm on that hype train. I'm all aboard. More information is better than less, always. Totally. Um, there's another one where they were in reinstituting the Holloman rule, which basically is a law that allows for the reduction of government official salaries, because right now they can only go up. This is allowing them to vote them down now. I mean, that's really just kind of the fiscal responsibility push that the Freedom Caucus has. And then the other one is that they want to hold votes on congressional term limits and border security plans. So they're saying by making these concessions, you're agreeing to at least hold a vote during this Congress. Yep. Those are the big ones, at least. Yeah. And congressional term limits. Again, that's another one. I'm cool with that. Yep. All about that one. I think that's a 100% approval rating in the American population. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. So what is your pure, uncut, unadulterated opinion on what's going down? Like, what is your gut feeling on this? I don't have a huge opinion. I think um, it's interesting to know about. I think It's a good part of the process that there can be room for differing opinions within each of the parties because just two stale juggernaut parties sticking to their themes the whole time is not helpful or beneficial in this country. So, you know, there was a little grinding along the way. I can't tell if it was to the benefit or any other potential end that the dissenting Republicans had in mind. I don't I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's obvious. But the concessions that were made by McCarthy throughout this process seem to overall largely benefit us as the American people. Yeah, it's it. I think the thing that's left up to like opinion or interpretation is like the intentions. And you'll never get a straight answer on that. That's purely an opinion piece of why did they do what they did? You could say that it's for the benefit of America. You could say that they were trying to do it for their own personal benefit. We don't you're, know. We're not going to get a straight answer on that. But putting setting that aside, opinions on the individuals themselves, like the process that happened in and of itself, was it a bad thing? No, it was procedural. We learned a little bit about the government. We learned a little bit more about what individuals in the party kind of stand for. They had some discussion, and ultimately the Speaker of the House was elected. Like, no harm, no foul, whatever. Like, I, it's clearly being made way more of a deal than it kind of really is. Nothing actually happened incorrectly within the process. Right, right. And so they're like, this is embarrassing. This is a travesty. It's like, not really. Like, it's, I think this is one of those times where they've spun this up so much and made it to into such a thing. And it's not really. Not a huge deal. I agree, man. Sure. It's it's rare to happen, but... Wait. But it does happen sometimes. Not everything that happens that is a rarity is a bad thing at all. Right. Okay, so we've already talked about kind of what happened and then given some history on what happened with the voting for the House Speakership. But now let's talk about what people are saying about it. So we did kind of a canvas of the articles that were out there from the major news sites just to see, was there a difference in what they were reporting? And clearly there definitely was. So for CNN, there was this whole section devoted to it at the top. There was at least seven or eight articles and two of them were written by a guy named Stephen Collinson or Stephen Collinson, not sure which one, because I only read names and I don't know how to pronounce them. And this one was sandwiched in between two other articles labeled as opinion. So this was not considered an opinion article. And it was titled, 
McCarthy is speaker, but extremists hold the power. And in the article, it said, the ideological extremism of the new house was encapsulated by the fact that on the second anniversary of the Capitol insurrection, McCarthy needed the help of former President Donald Trump, who incited the worst attack on democracy in modern times to get over the line in the cliffhanger final ballot. In a chilling reminder of that day in infamy, Brazil suffered its own version of January 6th on Sunday. That's like a 10-year-old being told you have to get all of these points in on your essay and like find a way to make them mesh to hit your page count. What's what's the word count on that one? Yeah, no, the descriptive words, it reads like a like a novella in a chilling reminder of that day in infamy. Yeah, and you know, the more dramatic you get, the least believable it feels. Right, and the more descriptive words that you apply to what is supposed to be a news article, it makes it write like a book. It's not news anymore it's your opinion right and the fact that this one was not tagged as an opinion but the other were was just kind of ironic and i just don't understand how the house speakership which just ironically and inadvertently ends up on the same day of something that happened two years prior has any relevance and then jumping into a country on the other side of the planet going through political unrest has to do with that as well Right. We're writing about an article that's something completely unrelated. But hey, I just want to remind everybody about this over here. Yeah, absolutely. Either way, this article basically says everything's on fire. That's CNN's position here. And the other article was called McCarthy takes desperation for speakership to a new level. And it said on the other side is a band of right wing zealots holding their party, the house and country hostage, some with no clear objective other than to destroy the idea of governance itself. For them, chaos is the point. Wow. It just jumps all the way to level 100. (laughs) Right. Well, and like he's also speaking to the intent of these people. So he's saying no clear objective. Right. But they do have an objective is to destroy the idea of governance itself even though this whole process is baked into governance. Sure. So it's sure. Uh, a little bit pointed and direct and uh, obviously inflammatory. I can understand the frustration from people on the left side of the aisle watching all of this unfold. And it probably felt like chaos and no clear objectives were out there with who those 20 um, dissidents were voting for um, and how long it took. But to jump to this conclusion really just shows that you don't have any faith that the other side is genuine in their intents at all. Well, and what you're saying about jumping to the conclusion, like this article is giving the conclusion to the reader before they make their own conclusion. Sure. Like this process can probably speak for itself. Like people can see what's unfolding and be like, wow, this is pretty chaotic. Wow, this is, you know, they don't have control of their own party. But those are decisions that people should be making in their own head. It shouldn't be the person who's writing the article kind of jamming that conclusion into your head before you even have a chance to look at it. And you know what conclusion no one would have jumped to if they watched this unfold without Steve and Stefan telling us? They wouldn't have said, oh, they're trying to destroy the idea of governance itself. <laughs> right, exactly. No, you're, you're voting on a House speaker and some people are not voting for it. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Thanks for your thoughts, CNN. Now we're going to hop in the car and drive across the street to Fox. <laughs> so coming over to Fox, predictably, and I, this was actually kind of a little bit of an experiment and we had a hypothesis and our hypothesis was proved correct. So then Fox News, it's nowhere. There was actually one article and it said Representative Byron Donald, who is one of the members who got a vote for the speakership, said, I'm frankly just happy that it's all over with and that we got something transformational and sound for the American people. 
So basically, they're just kind of trying to get away from it as fast as they can, pretend like it didn't happen, and paint a rosy picture for it. Easy peasy. You can turn off your TV and sleep well tonight. Nothing happened here. Right. Exactly. And then finally, coming back around to MSNBC, again, a whole block of articles right at the top, focal point on the page, and it's talking about that subject. And there was an article titled, As McCarthy Flails, Republicans Refuse to Cut a Speaker Deal with Democrats. Again, painting a painting a very specific picture, flails. I don't think I've ever seen the term flails in a news article about politics before. You've seen that little wall ornament that uh, McDonald's had of that little ro- robotic fish flailing, singing the, give me oh, back yeah, the, the flail fish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think of uh, Magikarp, Magikarthy. It really used, works. Used splash. <laughs> <laughs> used flail, actually. It <laughs> right. is a move. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, so if you're putting all of these right, up, right next to each other, sandwiching them together, I mean, CNN says Republicans are traitors trying to destroy governance itself. And then Fox says, hey, something transformational and great happened for the American people. All's well. And then MSNBC, I has guess. Has a singing bass on the wall. Has a sing- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know what you're supposed to make of that, but that's what we're being told. Um, and so then we have a good one from Trump. So what he says is, Close the deal, take the victory, and watch crazy Nancy Pelosi fly back home to a very broken California. The only speaker in U.S. history to have lost the House twice. Republicans, do not turn a great triumph into a giant and embarrassing defeat. It's time to celebrate. And you know what? You deserve it. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed that that whole thing wasn't in your Trump impression. So so many things to break down in there. Like the fact that he always has, like his nicknames are... Something the best, else, you know? the best. Crazy Nancy Pelosi. They get uh, stuck in your head. They last a long time. Th- it is true. Like I think uh, his Lion Ted thing was the thing that really tanked Ted Cruz's presidential run. You might be right. Um, you know, so he's got a lot of those nicknames that are sticking out there. And his way of looking at something that is probably for most people a victory, but he would call it a defeat. He said Nancy. I mean, I have no affinity for Nancy Pelosi, but he said <laughs> she lost the House twice. She got voted in twice. You know, most right, people right, don't true. get vote. She she actually did like two eight year stints two separate times. And but he looks at that as losing twice. And my favorite part is that it was all in caps. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I read anything all in caps, I can only picture them just like screaming it. Well, I'm reading from his um his social media website, Truth. Yes, yeah, he, so this right, is his right. truth, and he, I guess he writes in all caps. Uh, oh, all the time. Um, I think he does a lot. Okay. I, I, I've heard that before that a lot of the things he writes are just huge and important. So maybe you just ignore all of the things that are not in all caps because it must not be important. There it is. Yep. Um, another funny little quote, not a huge deal, but you know, some Republicans who are trying to save face, you know, want to downplay whatever this event was trying to get the speakership successfully, uh, run was uh, Representative Mike Gallagher, a Wisconsin Republican, who commented on the issue saying, sure, it looks messy, but democracy is messy by design. So that just seems like a quick nod saying, you know, whatever happened was expected and, you know, it's no big deal and let's move on. And in some way, he's right. Like, this is this shouldn't be... Right, right. This shouldn't be a huge deal, and democracy is messy, and you got to work through the kinks, and a lot of the times, good things come out of it. But to completely downplay it as no big deal when there's clearly an issue going on in the Republican Party in general. Obviously, anyone would on that side of the aisle have yeah, to try to glossing over it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I don't even know if messy is the right word for it because it 
it's a pretty orderly process. Like you call out votes, people vote. So like Great I don't point. I don't know if messy is the word that I would use to describe it. I think the messy part was the dissenters um, making it look dramatic. I yeah, true. So it's more like dramatic as opposed to messy. Yeah. Yep. But that quote is funny because you read the Donald Trump quote and then you read that one and it it looks like it's sweet poetry <laughs> compared to sure it looks messy but democracy is messy by design who's this guy's writer in lowercase also yeah, right exactly right. <laughs> proper punctuation included as opposed to close the deal take the victory <laughs> crazy Nancy <laughs> um, so then we've got one from uh, Noah Rothman from MSNBC his article said uh, was titled what Kevin McCarthy's tedious speaker fight says about GOP authoritarianism and one thing that I actually have to say about this article it was actually pretty centrist um, which I was I was surprised by that you know in the title it uses the word tedious and I think that's a very good descriptive word for the process. It was a pretty tedious process. You have to vote over and over, even if you know you're not going to get the votes. So like as as opposed to the descriptive words of flailing like we had earlier on, like hmm. tedious. Yeah, no, I think that's a very fair descriptive way to say it. But then the thing that I kind of take issue with is the fact that it says it has the presumption of authoritarianism in the GOP party, right? It says what it has to say about GOP authoritarianism. It's basically saying there is GOP authoritarianism. What does it have to say about it? But then in the article itself, he even says like this, what they did does not go along the lines of authoritarianism because it's people voting against the main party. So it was just weird to me that he's like, I've got to say authoritarianism, but then I'm actually in the article going to walk it back and say it wasn't authoritarianism, which was just kind of weird. He was doing it for the MSNBC readers right. to get them hooked in. Right, right. But then, you know, they got in there and they were catfished. They got inside and they were like, hold up. I, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> a good catfishing, though. He had something right. level-headed to say in the end. We've been talking about a whole lot of fish between Magikarps and bass flailing. And it is a theme catfish. today. All right. Um, so then we had another one from Scott Dworkin. He is a regular contributor for MSNBC. He's a journalist. And he tweeted that Kevin McCarthy literally just won and he's already the worst speaker of our generation. <laughs> and wow. this, this gets said about every single speaker. They said it about Pelosi. They said it about Paul Ryan. It just goes on and on. They, they've said it about everybody. But I am going to say full stop and no, that is definitely not the case. There is no competition whatsoever. I am going to submit my bid for the worst speaker, if not of our generation, of all time. Dennis Hastert from the early 2000s. To me, unequivocally, worst ever. So this guy was charged and convicted of banking fraud for withdrawing money in installments to avoid reporting that money to the government. Sounds like not really a big deal, right? Seems pretty run-of-the-mill, Ken. Yeah, I mean, seems like something that anybody would do. Like, I, I would not be surprised to hear this of anybody in Congress. But hold on a second. Why was he withdrawing the money that and wanted it to be so quiet? Oh, wait, it was hush money for sexual misconduct, for sexually assaulting multiple young boys, which he admitted to in court and then went to prison for. So I don't care what this dude did as the Speaker of the House. I don't care if he was like super partisan or if he was great, like whatever direction, throw it all out. He, on that one thing, he molested young boys and went to prison for it. I, I don't think that Kevin McCarthy, having not taken a single action in the House of Representatives yet, is already worse than that dude. No, that dude definitely takes the title. You, you absolutely prove your point. There is no way that he even remotely could take a title similar to that. So sorry, Scott Dworkin. And, and let's just dispense with that for all future House of Representatives speakers. 
let's just not say that again because <laughs> because unless they did something worse than that 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 title is going to be held for a very long time yeah i think most people would agree with you on that and so then it looks like we had a couple from matt gates here we go He's a desperate guy whose vote share is dropping with every subsequent vote, and I'm ready to vote all night, all week, all month, and never for that person, Matt Gates. He also said that he, that he'll keep blocking McCarthy from the speakership. Quote, wait, let me do my old man voice, because this sounds like the most old man thing in the world. <laughs> until the cherry, until the cherry <laughs> blossoms fall off the trees. That's not an old man voice. That's a constipated voice right there. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> For those bad. who didn't hear me, he said he'll keep blocking McCarthy <laughs> from the speakership until the cherry blossoms fall off the trees, which usually occurs in April. Which I don't know if you've noticed, but... Uh, We're still in January. The cherry blossoms have not yet bloomed, uh, so... Um, he didn't vote. Right. But- so, to yeah, to be fair to him, he didn't vote for him. He voted present, which just means that, like, he didn't vote for one way or the other. So, technically, he didn't. Well, he didn't block like he promised. That's, That's not true. Blocking. Yes, that is true. Liar. Yeah, and Matt Gates was the guy who kind of, I would I would describe him as the figurehead of this twenty per, you know GOP member movement to block this vote. He's definitely got the most lame recognition right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, separately, we have Representative Michael Waltz, Republican from Florida, who told reporters, "This group has now managed to kind of snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, and in the victory was this Republican majority." There is negotiation, and then there's holding the rest of us hostage. And 20 don't get to do that to 201. Why, why do we always have to jump to using the word hostage? It's a good word. It does, like, bring it, out... It you does know, paint a picture, but, like, holding us hostage? You guys, you were voting on a speakership for, like, three days. Right. Like, And not getting your way is not equivalent to being held hostage. Yeah, let's let's calm that down a little bit. But I, I feel like I do kind of understand the sentiment uh, and his frustration because... When there is 200 plus people voting the same way and 20 are causing problems and seemingly not going towards a uniform and cohesive end, it's, it felt like, I want to say filibustering, but it's not. Uh. Well, that's the, so that's the thing, like the aspect of this. So like he's saying holding us hostage. They're actually just following the process. Like this is all baked into the process of voting for the Speaker of the House. To me... Similar to my view on the filibuster, like I'm not saying that I, you know, support or condone any of these individuals or like that I support the, you know, that I think that they were doing it for a right cause, whatever. But like just from a process and procedure perspective, I think having a dissenting vote is perfectly fine. Yeah. Like that's how the, pro- that's why the process is built that way. Right. Um, so to say that you're holding us hostage, like discussion is happening, have discussion, whatever. I don't know. Get your own party in order. And those concessions came out of it. So. Right. Exactly. A positive so, end. All right, so now we have a quote here on audio from Lauren Boebert, uh, who is one of the House of Representatives that was in the dissent, so one of the 20 that was voting against. Hold up. Have you looked up, have you heard her name audibly? I have not heard it audibly, but uh, from a phonetic standpoint, it looks like Boebert. How do you pronounce it? I have never read it, but I've only heard it spoken about as Boebert. Okay. Bogart? Bogart? I thought Bogart. it was. Well, but there's a B in it's it. It's clearly a B. All right, let's let's uh investigate. Hold on. I'm going to pause and let's see what <laughs> let's see let's see how to actually pronounce it. 
sweet, sweet victory. I have, for the first time, pronounced the name more correct than Andrew. We don't need to shine any more light on this. We can move right along. that one on the calendar. It was a simple flub. (laughs) So anyways, Lauren Boebert uh, was in an interview with Sean Hannity. Hannity? Really? You pronounce it like that? Hannity? I'm kidding. Okay. (laughs) I was like, uh (laughs) uh-oh. So Sean Hannity, Lauren Boebert, talking about the vote on the speakership. Let's listen to what they had to say. My question to you is... Did you support Kevin McCarthy's commitments to America? And do you not believe that he's going to follow through on his written promises? His commitment to America is not as as strong as I would like it to be. And we have been working on the rules to change the structure of how Washington, D.C. is is run and operated. Sean, you know more than anybody how broken this town is. This is something that we have an opportunity to rebuild, to restructure. And it takes the right tools and the right leadership to do that. Do you support all of those agenda items he promised? Of course I do, but I do not trust Kevin McCarthy at this point to deliver on those promises, especially when I go into good faith negotiations with him and then he comes out and lies about what those conversations were. Yeah, so commitment to America, not as strong as I would like to be. I To that one, it's like, so later on, she actually says, I don't trust Kevin McCarthy to deliver on those promises. I think that is much better worded than commitment to America, because I don't think we're questioning anybody's commitment to America here. It's a um, huge vagary. Yeah. Right. It's just, that sounds like when we were accusing people of being communists back in the day. <laughs> like, True. And yeah. then it begs the question, who has the correct commitment to America? What right. does that look like? And what like? does that mean? Yeah. Yes. So, yes. no, I think that was... That's pretty nuts. Okay. And then, uh, so we also have a quote from President Biden. He was asked about the vote that was happening with the speakership and what his opinion was. So let's listen to what he had to say. With regard to the fight over the speaker, excuse me, I, uh, that's not my problem. I just think it's a little embarrassing it's taking so long in the way they're dealing with one another. And the rest of the world looking. They're looking at, you know, can we get our act together? How do you think this looks to the rest of the world? It's not a good look. It's not a good thing. It's the United States of America. And I hope they get their act together. Well, I just think it's funny. I don't really have anything important or (laughs) profound to say, but it's the process. Like you said earlier, this is the messy process of democracy grinding out and positive things were concessions were made that hopefully improve what we have i don't know yeah and i mean i guess if you're saying that it's embarrassing that your party isn't voting along party lines like i guess that's what you're saying to me that's not an embarrassing thing like i personally as an individual i think that having your own independent mind and voting however you feel led to do that's not embarrassing at all. Like, that's how it should happen. So, to me, that isn't embarrassing. And then, like you were saying, procedurally, this is how it works. So, I don't know. I I just don't necessarily... And this was a very common thing. Like, it, this was, like, across the board. There were a lot of people saying, like, that this process is embarrassing. This is humiliating, etc. Sure, maybe. I don't know. Maybe the stage aspect of it where some of it, like the way Matt Gates went about it, the way some of the TV moments uh, unfolded were kind of embarrassing as opposed to, it, it didn't seem like the whole time they were going through this, that everyone was really bent on getting to the solution and, b- and being serious about it in, in a way. Sure. Yeah, so I guess that aspect of it, if like if your lens on this is that these people are being self-serving and are interrupting the process just to get personal benefit, then sure. That is embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. So for the next one, we've got Greg Gutfeld of The Five. He's a Fox contributor. 
Um, so let's listen to what he had to say. I want to fast forward through it. <laughs> when it's up there, I want to fast forward because we know what the ending's going to be, what right? What is the ending? The ending is probably going to be McCarthy, he but I don't it. care. You don't care? I don't care. This is the worst game of chicken ever. <laughs> it's like, if you said game of chicken, you have a car going at the other and you wait. It's not even that. <laughs> it's not even that. It's just bad. It's like, it's like the Republicans read a book by the Democrats saying how to really screw up your party. So this one is a little bit unique because he is actually kind of insulting or attacking or going after the people that are on his own side. Like usually our quotes are people attacking the opposite side of the aisle. In this case, he's going after Republicans and he's a Republican. Yeah, it is kind of a breath of fresh air, right? A little um, honesty. But also, I don't know if I agree. I mean, he, at his core, is a, a member of the media more so than maybe a member of the right. And um, I think what he primarily would care about is action and ratings. And, ratings. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. And so this is a boring process, but we want boring processes to play out as they should. And if it takes a little bit long, that's okay. Right. But we're getting real results. So this is probably agonizing from. Uh, members of the media's point of view because there's just nothing happening that they can take and comment on. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, I feel like this actually is one of the things that isn't a super big deal that the media is making into a big deal. So I almost feel like it's the it should be the opposite from his perspective because it's like, hey, we've got another news cycle of you know, some guy covering the mouth of another GOP lawmaker in an awkward exchange. Like, uh, so so there was one guy who was like verbally accosting another congressperson and somebody came up from behind him and was like pulling him away and like covered his mouth and that turned into like this big hullabaloo again. And so like, I feel like this is rife for the media. To, like the reason why we're even talking about this is because the media has made it a big deal. Yeah, and like you said earlier, normally this is a very undiscussed process that needs to happen every two years. We're used to it, and there's nothing interesting. But the contention on this one, and then that one physical fish hooking of a, of a congressperson was rather rather interesting. Yeah, and so then he's you know he's talking about how uh, it's like the Republicans re read a book that the Democrats wrote on how to wreck your party. I don't I don't necessarily know if I agree with that. Again, voting against your own party is not, in my perspective, as a separate not, I'm an independent, so right, I'm not a card-carrying member of either party. To me, that's healthy. That's good, being able to have dissent within your own party to be able to work it out. And I would say dissenters or the minority within a party who have a differing point of view would say this is them trying to fix the problems and that this kind of friction needs to happen. But someone who's in the majority of a party who wants to keep the things as they are would say, look, you're ruining our party, get in line. Right. And that dissent keeps ideas fresh, keeps ideas like different and not difference like just for the sake of difference, but at least it's bringing some different perspective to the table so that you can work through it. Potential improvement. Um, yeah. Like that's that's what our whole government system is based on is the ability to to dissent from the main party and the fact that, I mean, at least we have two parties and it's not, you know, one party rule, but. And a lot of the concessions that were hammered out through this process, like we said earlier, seem to be putting us in a better position. Right. So for the big kahuna, the quote of all quotes, the 20 pounder. <laughs> really, really working in these fishing quotes. We, um, we like to label our most extreme or silliest or un most annoying hot take that we can get and call it our centrifugal farce award winner. 
And Ken, this week, what do we got? So this week, we've got Brian Tyler Cohen. He's got a pretty influential podcast, and he's pretty active on Twitter. He tweeted, Republicans are economic terrorists coming for seniors. The media needs to report it as such. There it is. Do do you (laughs) want to guess which side of the aisle Brian Tyler Cohen comes from? He is... Uh, left of center, I would imagine. <laughs> Slightly left of center. <laughs> what even is an economic terrorist? The Bolsheviks were economic terrorists. <laughs> and think about oh all the God. seniors hearing this, the most prone to paranoia population. Right. Picking uh, a soft target. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. And the, and the fact that he's like, the media isn't reporting it enough as such. Like, like media, take note. Republicans are terrorists is essentially what he's saying. Economic terrorists. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, it's hard to belabor that point. It's just so flippant and exaggerated. Right. Um, the most exaggeration you can do is like apply the word terrorists to something. Yeah. Here we are. There we go. So, Brian Tyler Cohen, you are the Centrifugal Farce Award winner for this week. Congrats. E- email us for your prize at your convenience. <laughs> so, if you listen to the right, uh, the you know nothing to see here. This is just how we do our democracy. Um, everything is great. If you listen to the left, then the Republicans are terrorists uh, looking for anarchy and abolish everything that they possibly can. That seems to really sum it up nicely. It seems that this is just a step in the process that we go through every two years. Uh, It went a little bit longer than it normally would, but it seems like results came out with it. So, yeah, we got to see a little bit more on TV. A process that normally happens behind the scenes and is quite boring was a little bit more interesting. Uh, Interesting concessions were made throughout the process. And this probably won't be a big deal in a few weeks at all. We'll probably be moving on. I think maybe the dissenting opinions in the Republican side are probably going to be what's interesting in the weeks and months to come because they clearly have issues they need to iron out and there's people on very different sides of the right right now and they're butting heads. Other than that, business as usual. Yeah, I feel like anytime you get to learn how the American government operates in more intricate detail, that's great. Yeah, I learned a bit. Yeah. I hope you did too. All right, that's all we've got on this. So thanks for listening. Connect with us on Twitter at Real It In Podcast or email us at therealitinpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed listening, leave us a review on wherever it is that you listened. It helps us move our show to the top of user searches and gets us more exposure. If you didn't enjoy listening, well, then I'm not really sure what's wrong with you, but there's nothing I can do to fix you. Sorry. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Real It In. Get me the votes. Where are they? You either die the hero or live long enough to become the speaker. Luke, I am your speaker. I am your speaker. <laughs> Not his voice. I can't wait to hear that back. <laughs> no, Christopher Walken, Sean please. Connery. <laughs> Morgan Freeman, naturally. You, you had also written down Winnie the Pooh, the guy who voiced him. <laughs> Jim Carrey would be really animated up there. <laughs> like oh. from In Living Color in my previous episode. <laughs> Where's my lollipop? Nancy Pelosi did not provide us with anything fun like that.